They'll disagree with me tonight. So, Father, we take a moment here to pray. And, Lord, we know that your word is so important. And I'm asking you, Lord, as I get into the word tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help us. In this time that you'll come upon me and speak through me under a mighty anointing and let your word go out under a strong anointing. Lord, I ask you that the Spirit of God, Lord, will cause this word that it will be as living seed to truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us to really get our minds focused, our hearts in tune with you, and touch our eyes and ears, anoint them that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, where we read in the Bible where Jesus said, those that have eyes to see and ears to, ears to hear, we want to be those people. Lord, help us to have eyes that will be able to see and ears that will be able to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking. And Lord, that this will go out under a mighty anointing and the winds of the Spirit will carry all these words from River of Life, not just this sermon, but others, and help carry it out everywhere it's supposed to go. Lord, that your holy angels watch over the word of the Lord from this ministry to go out. And make sure everything's going to be accomplished as God's will to be done. And we agree together corporately. We bind the enemy. We bind the birds of the air that would try to steal the seed, as the Bible talked about in the parable of the seed and sower. We bind it now in Jesus' name. But Lord, speak through me and let everything be accomplished through this word that's your will to be done. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be a light shining that will dispel darkness, lies, evil, and deception. And bring truth in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for it now. Alright, so I'm going to dive into this. I'm dealing with Kingdom Finance Part 2. And I'm going to deal with some things. Now this sermon might be a little... Last week. Last week's was a little convicting. This sermon will be a little bit convicting too. But the next two sermons I do, I want them to be more positive. Okay, this is dealing with things that need to be taken care of. And as I recap from last week... We're going to have to have a place in our lives where we begin to break out of the level that we've been at. Last week I dealt with four levels. The bag level, the barrel level, the basket level, and then the barn level. Those that are at a bag level, their mentality is, this is my money. They're stingy. They don't like to give. And a lot of times they have a lot of struggle with poverty in their life. And God has got to help them get out of that. The barrel level is like the woman that had made Elijah a cake for him first. She baked something for him, and God's blessing came on her barrel in her kitchen where it was like that little um, canister of flour. It just kept supernaturally producing. And so she had enough for her and her family to do well, and if you study it out, it seems to be around a year. So it was supernatural. And then the third level is the basket level. The basket level is like Jesus. Jesus ministered out of a place where he could take a few loaves and fishes in a basket and could feed a multitude. And this is a level where people break into this and they're not only blessed themselves and their family blessed, but now they're able to be a blessing to many other people. And the barn level is like Joseph. Joseph had great wealth entrusted to him that affected nations. And I believe that it's God's will that not one single Christian ever live at a bag level. I dealt with that in depth last week, and it's, an, it's a serious issue. People that are stingy, people that don't want to give, people that are not faithful in their tithes and offerings, they live at a certain level financially, and it's something where a bag level is grievous to the Lord. And the Lord will not pour out His Spirit on a group of people that are like that. But once people begin to start being givers and begin to have a revelation about that, and they start moving out into this supernatural realm where they really believe, hey, wait a second, God promised. First off, I want to please God, and He wants me doing this, and God gave me these promises, and they start stepping out in faith. Now they enter that barrel level where them and their family are going to start prospering. No longer are they living paycheck to paycheck and struggling. Now they're prospering. And once they're faithful there, and they, and they hear from God, and they begin to increase their giving, God can entrust them to now be at a basket level 
where they can start being a real blessing to many other people. And of course, the barn level is great wealth. And I believe some Christians are called to be at a barn level where they are going to transfer great wealth to many others. But not every Christian is called to that. Some Christians are just simply called to be at a basket level, and that's where they're supposed to be. But if they will join together with many other Christians, they can give into a work of God, and it, that will be the barn level that they're sowing into, if that makes sense. All right, so let me move from that now and deal with some other issues. When you deal, I dealt a lot with this last week, but when you talk about finances, unfortunately, you have a lot of people that Satan has done something in their heart to where they don't like to hear about finances in church. They don't like it preached. But Jesus talked about finances, and so did Paul. And it's something all through the Scriptures. And it is something, if you're going to preach the whole whole counsel of God, you've got to be willing to preach on it. But God is wanting our hearts to be right about money. How many knows that's important? Because the Bible said that the love of money is the root of all evil. So people that have an unhealthy love and an unhealthy focus on money in their life, um, there's, there's an evil in them. As a matter of fact, I just last night, of all nights, it was so interesting. I happened to watch this show before I went to sleep. And in this show, this young lady was very wealthy, and her father was worth like $100 million. He's you know, very wealthy. But apparently he knew how she was, so he cut her out of the will except for $5 million. Now, how many of you guys think that you could be content with $5 million, right? She wasn't. She murdered all these other people so that she could get the $100 million. But at the end of the day, she got busted for that. And, but to make a long story short, money corrupts people so much. How in the world could somebody not be content with $5 million? Did y'all hear what I'm saying? How could somebody not be content with five million dollars and there'd be such a love of money and a discontentment in them that they're willing to murder other people but that's the power a lot of times that money has over people and if you were to talk to somebody that works like homicide you would find out that there's a very high percentage of murders that take place over money and that that love of money corrupts a lot of people And people don't realize it, but sometimes it really perverts something in them to where they make really bad decisions in life. And it's out of a lust for money in them, a materialism. So let me deal with a couple points as I move toward the end. I want to get to the giving part, but I want to kind of dovetail from last week. And let me just read this scripture. I I heard something. God laid this on my heart, so I want to share a few things about this. But in Proverbs 10.4, it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So, laziness, slothful, okay? Here's some things about this. I've seen people over the years, when you're in the ministry, you see a lot of different things, okay? And I've seen people that my wife and I even would help them get a job, but here's how it went down. There's certain people that they deal with laziness and slothfulness so much. These people will show up late all the time to work. They leave early. They call in way too much. They even go to work, and they're not dressed nicely like they're supposed to be and like they want them to be, Some, sometimes not even bathing. And the people end up, the management there ends up wanting to get rid of them And so they start working things out to where they end up getting fired so that they can get a good employee in there that's not going to do those things. And that comes from a slothfulness and a laziness in people that God cannot entrust them. Let me tell you something about the slothful, the lazy. Those people will have a hard time, and please hear me with this, those people will have a hard time really truly fulfilling everything God's called them to do because they're too lazy to do it. A slothful, lazy person, you're always having to go behind them and pick up after them. You're always having to do things for them because they're too lazy to do it. And it gets frustrating. And here's some things about this. A slothful person will maybe start projects, but never finish them. Maybe they started something. Maybe they started guitar lessons. Maybe they started, they felt God began to lead them about something and they started to learn about 
witnessing. Maybe they started a program on that to teach them how to be effective in it. But they didn't follow it all the way through. A slothful person will procrastinate things on and on and on. It'll never get done. Now listen, I'm not preaching down. I'm preaching to all of us, including myself here, okay? So I don't ever want to come across that way. But I just want us all to examine ourselves together. But also a slothful person will grumble and complain when asked to do things. They'll whine. A lot of times they're too lazy to get up and get a job and hold down a job. I've seen some people that they can be 30-something years old. This is not not an exaggeration because I've got people in my mind right now that their faces are popping up. They can be in their 30s and they still want to be a little 13-year-old kid playing video games living with mommy and daddy. But they've got a wife and kids. A lot of times slothful people are too lazy to get up and pray, to get out and witness, and to do the work of God. And God will work on them, but if they don't repent, a lot of times the Lord has to use somebody else. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the Lord and one day the Lord look at me and say, man, I love you, and I, you know, you're in my kingdom, but you were just too lazy. I could not use you to do everything that I want to do. I had to raise up other people. Do you want to hear that? I don't want to hear that when I see Jesus. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did everything I called you to do. There were times it was hard, but you fulfilled your destiny in God. The slothful won't stick with things, and they won't finish things. This can be really frustrating to others, and it can even hold them back and even hold others back because of the way they are. And here's another one that's really serious. The discontent. Discontentment is very serious. 1 Timothy 6, 5. And the constant friction between men of depraved mind and depraved of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of financial gain. I'm going to tell you something. Those of you that are calling to ministry, don't ever, ever, ever get a mindset that your preaching and the gospel and all of this is somehow about making you a lot of money because that's not what it's about. It's about souls being saved. But anyway, but he said godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And the King James says, in godliness and contentment is great gain. The discontent. Just like I was telling about that lady that couldn't be content with $5 million. It's like how ridiculous, how insane does that seem? But there's people out there, and please hear me with this. This is important. There's people out there that have a discontent heart. And it doesn't matter what house they live in, they want a bigger house. It doesn't matter what car they drive, they want a better car. It doesn't matter what clothes they have, it's never enough. And it doesn't matter what God blesses them with, they're going to complain because they're discontent and they've got to have more. You know what it is? It's a lust in their heart for material things and money. That's what it is. And it can be extremely frustrating to maybe a spouse or other people because they're sitting there thinking to themselves, why can't you just be happy? But a discontent person won't be happy until they find their happiness in God. Because you're not going to find happiness in material things. That's why these people that have so much money and they have so much material things, they seem to be miserable. They have one divorce after the next. They're never truly happy because they're trying to find happiness in material things. It'll never satisfy. A discontent person is somebody that's always going to live frustrated. And I don't know about you, but I just want to be content and thankful for what I have with God. You know, the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. Great signs and wonders. God moved in their lives miraculously on many occasions, yet they kept grumbling and complaining. And because of their grumbling and their complaining, God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. If you want to be somebody that lives your entire life frustrated in a wilderness, be somebody that's discontent and always complaining. But God wants a people that enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. And Lord, I'm so thankful for, you know, the house you've given me. I'm so thankful. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I have a job. 
There's people out there that want jobs, but I have a job. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you for the clothes that I have. Thank you for the food that you've allowed me to have in my life. There's people out there going hungry, living under a bridge. There's people in other countries that live in total poverty compared to what we have. And Lord, I thank you so much for all the blessings in my life. And God is wanting that contentment in our lives, okay? And the thing that concerns me, if people don't allow God to deal with this in their hearts, is that that lust in their hearts for money, it is like an iniquity drive. And I've seen, listen to me, I've seen where that's gone down family bloodlines. The parents were that way, now the kids are that way. And not all of it's taught. Some of it is something in them that is like an iniquity drive that God needs to take that out and kill out of their lives. There's something in them that's a lust for more. And if you don't let God get that out of you, I'm concerned because the last days, the Bible said there'll be a mark of the beast. It's going to be an economic mark. You won't be able to buy and sell without it. And I'm concerned there's going to be a lot of Christians that sell out Jesus and take the mark because they can't stand the thought of having to live in poverty. Boy, it gets quiet when you preach like this. But I'm preaching at this for myself and all of us to to really think about things in our lives. Is there any area of discontentment? Is there any area of slothfulness? God, forgive us. God, forgive me. Help us, Lord, to overcome these things. Because I want to go into all God has for me. I don't want anything holding me back, and I'm sure you feel the same way. So here's some things as we, you, you know, kind of dovetailing still from last week to break out of this, to break out of the... Um, the level that you're at. If somebody says, well, Pastor Scott, I feel that I'm still struggling with this bag level. Or others say, I feel like I'm at the barrel level. Me and my family are okay, but we're not really able to, to be a blessing to others. But whatever level you're at, you're wanting to break out into a new level. I'm going to start sharing with you now how to do that. And then next week, I'm really going to build on that, okay? Now, giving in times of famine. Here's what a lot of people do. When they go through difficult times financially, they say to themselves, well, I'm not going to tithe this month, and I'm not going to give. They don't realize what they're doing because they're actually going to make things worse. That's the worst thing you can do. That's the same thing as a farmer looking up and saying, well, it hasn't rained in a few weeks, so this year I don't think I'm going to plant a crop. So let me show you in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul was talking about sowing financially. And Paul equated sowing seed like a farmer would sow seed. He equated that with us giving finances. So this is a New Testament concept. And here's what you've got to understand the backstory behind this. In Acts 11.28, there was a man named Agabus that stood up and prophesied, there is a famine coming. And so Paul begins to tell all of his churches, start taking up an offering. Make sure that you give in this offering so generously we're going to come through and we're going to take this and we're going to take it to Jerusalem and we're going to give it to the church there. We're going to bless Israel. We're going to bless the Jewish people. Make sure there's a famine coming. I'm trying to give you kind of in context here. Make sure that you sow financially. Do you see the context here? Paul understood that there's a famine coming. You better get your seed in the ground so God can bless you. Where is he getting this concept from? I'm about to show you this here in a moment. But let me read this first in 2 Corinthians 9, 5. So I thought it was necessary to urge my brethren that they should go on ahead of you and arranged beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do so as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
Everybody say amen there. Come on. God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want somebody back there in their chair and they hear something like this, like, oh, you know, and they're like pinching that dollar bill, man. They just, I, and they just, I guess I just have to give, you know, and they just throw it in there and they just got an attitude. That doesn't please the Lord. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. Now, this is, listen, this is the will of God being revealed right here. That always having all sufficiency in everything. In other words, that your needs are always met, that you're going to be taken care of, that you're going to be prospering. I really believe with all my heart that's God's will. Does it mean we're not going to go through trials? Well, we have to believe God because we all go through trials. But I believe the overall life is that we serve a good God. And God loves us and he wants to, he wants to provide for us and he wants us to prosper. I believe that. He wants us to be taken care of. All sufficiency in everything that you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All right. Let me kind of pause for a moment. God has given us seed to sow. If you take that, and instead of planting it like you should, you pull back and you use it for yourself, your own selfish pleasures. It's the same thing as a farmer. Somebody comes to a farmer and says, listen, man, I know that you need this seed. Here's a bag of seed. And then the farmer goes home, and him and his family start pouring it in their bowls and eating it like cereal or something. And they eat up all the seed. They don't have any more seed. And so how's he going to plant anything in the ground and reap anything come harvest time? Because he ate all the seed up. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe his family hadn't eaten and he was scared. And he's like, I got this bag of seed. He runs in. It's like, eat everything we can. You know, and he's got this fear mentality and he eats all of it up and they're all full and they're all sitting back and that little button's popping right there on their belly, you know, and they're all sitting back. They're all fat and happy. But the thing is that they're not going to be reaping in the future. That seed was meant to be planted for a harvest. And so let me read this again. He who supplies seed to the sower. God gives us seed so that we can sow it. And bread for food will supply. And look at this. He will increase your seed for sowing. He will give you more. If you're faithful, sowing what God gave you to sow, he'll give you more to sow. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. Maybe last year's harvest was at a certain level and God saw you were faithful. So now he's increased your finances. So why? So you can increase your giving. And then your harvest 2016 is bigger than 2015. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God because of the proof given by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your giving, your contribution to them and to all. While they, You know what Paul's saying here? Is that, you know, when people go out, like, for example, we go out and we share with the homeless. When you go there and you give them food and water and things like that, you're giving to them something that means something to them. And so now the gospel is being honored because you come in that way. That's what he's saying here. By prayer on your behalf, yearn for you also because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Well, let me give you a few things. This isn't really the the longest sermon, but I I want to kind of belabor a few points here. In Genesis 8.22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So God has a principle that he has linked in the Bible. He's linked this. He has a principle of seed time and harvest. So when you give, There's a sowing and reaping that's going on there. In Galatians 6, 7 says, Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. One who sows to his own flesh will reap 
from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. So see, the thing is, don't grow weary. Is as you're sowing. So let me just say, it's not just financial here. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If somebody is going to go out and sow evil, don't be surprised if evil doesn't befall them. But the principle is also there with finances. In Ecclesiastes 11.1, one says, Cast your bread upon the waters, and you'll find it in many days. Meaning this. Think about it. You're going out there, and you're throwing your bread and all this food into the waters, and the fish are eating it. The fish are getting big and fat. And then in a, a little while, you're going to go out there and go fishing. And now you've got some big plump fish you can take home, see? And so God is showing that when you cast your bread on the waters, it's going to come back to you. And here's some things to consider, though, with this concept about sowing and reaping. Consider the soil. I don't just flippantly throw money at everything, okay? Consider the soil. Make sure that you're sowing into a place that is a place of God's presence, a place of integrity. And, you know, I love River of Life. I don't say this lightly. I believe it's extremely good soil. Because it's about soul winning. It's about reaching out to the lost and hurting. It's a house of prayer. You know, there's things about this that it makes it good soil. But there might be some places that are not necessarily good soil. Here's another thing. Sow the amount God speaks to you. Be obedient. Because sometimes, if you're going to live that way, God's going to test you. It's kind of like he's done with many times in Scripture. God's going to test you. To sow when you you feel like, well, I don't know that I have the money to do that. You know, God speaks to you a certain amount. But if you'll obey him, he'll come through. He'll bless you. And think about Isaac. Now, God told Isaac, he said there was a famine hit where he was living. And I shared this last week. He was going to go to Egypt. And God told Isaac, nope, I want you to stay right where you're at. And I want you to plant. I'll take care of you. So Isaac goes. And he gets these oxen, you know, they're all um, yoked up and he's out there plowing. Can you imagine there's a famine, there's been no rain, watching that soil there at your feet, totally dry and cracked. And, that, and there's dust coming up out of it in your face. And he's in there plowing that dry ground. He goes through there and takes the seed and he's sowing it. And he sits back and I'm sure the thought crossed his mind, man, how in the world is the seed going to grow? But then he probably remembered his daddy Abraham and how many miracle stories he had. And he thought to himself, well, the God of Abraham is my God and he'll supply all my needs. He'll take care of me. And even though it did not rain, Isaac reaped a hundredfold. Now see, it'd be one thing if thirtyfold. Isaac reaped every single thing he planted came up and produced one hundredfold in a desert, in a famine. So sow the amount that God gives you. God will bless you. And have right motives in giving. Right motives in in giving is that, Lord, I love you and I want to please you. And also, I want to be, um, I want to help your kingdom. And I I want to be a blessing to the lost and hurting and those that need help. Those are in need. Those are right motives. Wrong motives are when somebody's hearing sermons like this and they're like, well, I'm going to give because I want to give. I want, you know, more and more and more for me. That's what, and a lot of people are like that. They hear sermons that play on the greed in their heart instead of sermons that are telling them to repent of the greed in your heart. Believe God for the increase. Now listen, when you give, don't just give out of a religious ritual. Boy, it's easy to do that, especially with tithing. It's like, well, I just, I do this every week, every month, whatever, I sow it in a, Take a moment to pray over that. And Lord, I thank you so much. I'm a cheerful giver. Thank you so much for the honor of being able to give into your work. And Lord, as I give this, I release my faith. I want to be a blessing to you and your kingdom. I'm doing this because I love you. But also know that as I tithe, you're going to rebuke the devourer for me. The heavens are going to be open. More blessings there's room enough contained. And I release this in faith in Jesus' name. That is believing God right there. And speak faith. I'm going to tell you, 
one of the worst things is people that are constantly speaking things. There are certain people I've seen over the years that really struggle with this. And they're always saying negativity about their finances or about themselves or about their health. And what they don't realize they're doing, the Bible says life and death is in the tongue. Okay? They don't realize that they're doing this, but they're constantly speaking out words that are wrapping around them and confining them financially and crippling them financially. They're cursing themselves. Whether, you know, whether they realize they do it or not, but if they would rise up and they would break those words off themselves and they would begin to speak faith on a regular basis, begin to speak out loud, Lord, I thank you that you're supplying all my needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, as I tithe, this will happen. As I give to the poor, Psalms 41 says, I'm, I am the blessed of the land. And I'm not going to be given over to the desires of my enemies. You're with me to deliver me out of any trouble. And they keep speaking faith and speaking the word of God. You know what's happening? It's like watering the seed so that it will bring a great harvest. And it also, I believe this, it releases the holy angels to go help make that happen. Now listen, if you're taking notes, this would be a really good place to jot this down. Kenneth Hagin shared this, and I'll never forget it. Let me just say while people are getting a pen or whatever. Kenneth Hagin was a great, great man of God. Went to home to be with the Lord in 2003. And unfortunately, he taught a really pure, I've read all, much of his teachings. I've um, listened to so much. His message was really pure. But unfortunately, some people came after him. Some of them really perverted it and began to use it too much with finances. It became like a hyper um, prosperity teaching and it, it wasn't healthy. As a matter of fact, Kenneth Hagin called them to come to a meeting where he rebuked them. I know somebody that was either at the meeting or, or knew people there. But anyway, we talked about this meeting. He called people there to rebuke them. He wrote a book called The Midas Touch where he rebuked it publicly. And, and But unfortunately, even to this day, People kind of associate him with that, but he wasn't that way at all. But here's what he taught about prosperity. This is really good. He said to pray specifically for what you need, number one. So if you need, for example, you need $2,000, pray specifically, Lord, I need $2,000. Number two, he said that you need to um, lay hold of that by faith, but also you need to bind the enemy. Because he said Satan is a thief, right? He comes to steal. So the enemy is going to try to hinder that. So he said, bind the enemy. And then number three, he said, God's angels are ministering spirits sent to minister on our behalf. So speak out loud that scripture. And speak out, Lord, your angels are ministering spirits sent to minister on my behalf. Lord, release your angels to go gather that in. And he said that God showed him that. And once he started applying that, he started seeing a lot of things come in like never before. So those are the three things. Pray specifically. You're laying hold of what you need. Number two, bind the enemy off of it. And number three, speak out that the holy angels be sent to go gather it in. And he had a lot of testimonies of um, applying that and seeing supernatural provision. All right. So now let me start moving toward this last few points I want to cover. But James 5, 7 says this, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. When you sow, whether it be financially or other ways, you have to be patient. Please take this to heart about patience and these things. You can't sow and then tomorrow morning you wake up, you pop up out of bed tomorrow morning, and you go, I don't see the harvest. Pastor preached, and I don't understand. And it's like it doesn't work that way, okay? You've got to give things time. And so it's just like praying. Look at this, Hebrews six twelve. We do not want you to be lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Faith and patience. Look how long Abraham had to wait before he saw Isaac. Look how long David wandered in caves before he saw the king, you know, the kingship. Wait, look how long people had to wait when they got a promise for God, from God through scripture before they saw it fulfilled. Sometimes you've got to wait a while. 
Look at Joseph. So don't have a mentality that this is some microwave thing. You know, it's just going to pop out real quick. This is something that is a lifestyle. A lifestyle of wanting to please the Lord and be obedient to His Word. And as you are because you love God, not because you're greedy, because you love Him, and because you want to be a blessing to His kingdom, that you're faithful in your giving. And as you are, God will cause that your giving will be blessed that you start reaping. And then God will enable you to start being able to give more to His kingdom. I hope everybody catches that point because that right there is where a lot of people miss it. Well, I give my tithe and, you know, God spoke to me about this and so I do this. And then they start, God starts increasing them and they stay at that level. Why not pray when you're increased? Why not pray, Lord, do you want me to give anymore? And if he says yes, ask him how much and then increase. And what happens is you begin to move up to new levels where God can entrust you to be more of a conduit of his finances. All right, here's, a, here's something I really wanted to get to. If you look through your notes, this has to do some with the Hebrew roots. I think it will be a blessing. If you're looking at your notes, I want you to look to the left at the things that are bold first, and then I'm going to explain them on the right here in a moment. So God, here's what you got to understand. When God came, when Jesus came in the fullness of time, and he fulfilled the law, God had laid such a foundation through the nation of Israel that this foundation of, for example, giving, that this foundation was so deeply entrenched in the people of God that you don't read too much about it in the New Testament because the people of God had such giving hearts. I'm going to show you how deeply entrenched giving was in the Hebrew culture. And God wanted this to carry on into the church. So here's seven areas where God used Israel or spoke to them about giving. Okay? So look to the left. I'm going to deal with the bold area first. Number one, he said, don't glean the corners of your field. So if you went out and you planted this huge harvest, let's say you've got 100 acres and you go out to reap the harvest, God told them, don't go all the way to the corners, leave it. And he also said, I didn't put this in there, but he also said, and don't go over it twice. He said, leave it for the poor. All right. The second area, Bikarim, is the first fruits. So now you've planted a harvest. Because Israel was a very agricultural society, okay? There was a lot about the harvest, even the feast revolved around the harvest you go out and you plant this harvest of wheat or whatever or let's say corn you plant this harvest of corn and now the first fruits start coming up and you look out and you see these green ears of corn start coming up and these are the first fruits of your harvest so you go out with your um you know your harvesters to say guys gather in the first fruits so you begin to cut down the first fruits and you gather them up and this is the first fruits that you take to the temple and give. This is different than the tithe. A lot of people don't know this. Then number three is the tithe. Once the harvest came up, and let's say that you went out and you gathered and you had 100 sheaves that were gathered in, you set apart 10 of the best and you took it to the temple as a tithe. Then there was what's called the second tithe, but let me explain that. God told them three times a year, you're to come to Israel, to Jerusalem. At Passover, okay, at Pentecost and Tabernacles, you're to come and don't come empty-handed. So they had to set aside kind of a second tithe so that they could have what they needed to travel there, their expenses while they are there, and also, they weren't to come empty-handed so that they could have some. That was the second tithe, okay? Really, this, I'm sorry, the second tithe has to do with their travel expenses. And I'll explain that here in a minute. That's actually different than the, the other one. But their travel expenses and their needs. All right. Then the fifth area, Musaf, is a special offering. So these were, God said, don't come empty-handed. 
So at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, they had a special offering that they would bring to the temple. So this was above the first fruits. This was above the tithe. This was a special offering for those days. Then you had what's called tzedakah, which is just righteous giving to the alms, to the poor, that they would bring to the temple for those reasons. There was a third and a sixth, I can't remember which years, but they would bring them for those reasons. And then the last was free will offerings. That Israel would now, people would come, and they would bring their little their lambs and the goats and the, and the bulls, and they would, they would bring in the grain, and they wanted to go to the temple, and they just wanted to give it to the Lord because they love Him. It's a free will offering. And this was something that was so deeply entrenched in their culture, a culture of giving, that that was supposed to carry over to the church. Well, someone might ask, well, Pastor Scott, now we're in the New Testament time. We obviously don't take our sheaves to a temple. So how does this fulfill? Well, I believe that I can answer that. Let's go through it together. So now in Christianity, how would we live this out? Well, number one, don't glean the corners of your harvest, but leave them there for the poor. Let me just give you an example of how that you could do something like that. I know on Saturday nights after church, we always go out to a restaurant and we fellowship, a lot of us do. There's a lady that regularly waits on us there that we've become really good friends with, but she does not have a lot of money at all. In fact, I would say she lives at poverty level. That's the only income she has is just waiting tables. And so I, and I'm sure many others do this too, but I always try to leave her a, a large tip for that reason. I'm sure many of you do too. That's a way not to glean the corners. Think about things like that when you know people that are not well off. Because God said, don't glean the corners of your field, leave them for the poor. And so try to give to people like that, okay? That's number one. Number two, be Kareem, the first fruits. Give God your first and best. So number one would be when I wake up in the morning. Now, some people, it's not their best to pray in the morning. So I don't mean this the way it may sound. But I want to give God my first part of the day, and I want to give Him my best, and I spend time with Him. And that's my first fruits, if you will, of prayer. But also, when you get finances in, you need to be thinking first, what am I going to do for the Lord? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's the first fruits. Whenever you get money in, it's like, okay, Lord, what do I... You see, a bag mentality says, this is my money. I'm going to do what I want to with my money. That's a bag mentality. But... A prosperity mentality is, Lord, this is your money. It's not mine. I'm just a steward. So as this comes in, first fruits, what, what do you want me to do? Obviously, I'm going to tithe because I'm not going to steal from you. But what, what do you want me to do? First fruits. And then number three is the tithe, which everybody probably does for the most part here, I believe. And the Bible says to bring your tithe into the storehouse. This is where you get fed spiritually. Then number three, the second tithe. You know what a lot of people don't realize? I'm going to say this about the second tithe here. God told these people that they needed to be coming to these feasts. He told them to weekly have a Sabbath. I want you to think about this for a minute. God told them, think about how much of a gift this is. I want you every week to not work that on one day. I want you to rest. I want you to enjoy me. I want you to enjoy your family. How many say that's a gift? Instead of God telling them work seven days a week, he said, I want you to take a day and rest. And, and they knew that they're going to have to put back some financially so that they could have money for these things. For example, with the uh, going to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles, they had to put some money back to celebrate the Lord. All right. Let me say it this way, the point I want to make. You guys know as well as I do that a lot of people out there view Christianity as being boring. Because they don't understand. But they really do. They think that it's all about a bunch of rules and it's really boring. You know where that concept probably came from? So, out of the Hebrew culture, when Christianity comes on the scene, there was a mentality... That God, we, you know, you have a holy fear of God. 
But God was a God that wanted us to feast and celebrate and party before him. Now think about that. That was the concept. Several times a year. And God wanted them to be able to put some finances back so that they could do that. This is a God that wanted us to feast and celebrate before him. To have fun. It was a culture where people would dance before the Lord. And it was fun and exciting. The things of God were fun. And then whenever Constantine comes in and he severs those Hebrew roots very deliberately... Now the worship became very stoic and very much like the pagan rites that he was overseeing. And it became, if you were having fun, somehow you were in sin. And then look at the, look at the Catholic Church. It's like by being as boring as possible, the, you know, like the, um, the monasteries, by living in abstract poverty and beating yourself with a whip, and just going around taking these vows and being dull and not having any fun at all that somehow you were spiritual. Is anybody seeing the problem here? As I believe that if people could go back and understand the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew roots, we'd understand that God wants us to celebrate Him and have fun. And I was asking my daughter, because we were talking about this one time, if she viewed Christianity as being fun or boring. She said, it's fun, it's an adventure. But it's because she's been around revival. You know, revival is there's dancing and there's singing and there's freedom in the Lord. There's, there's celebrating the Lord and it's, it's fun. But the second tithe would be this, that you put back finances so that you can celebrate before the Lord with your family. Okay, I'm trying to tell you as a Christian, how do I do this now? How do I have this second tithe? Have you ever considered putting back some finances to celebrate with your family and have fun before the Lord? All right. Then number five, the Musaf that you set aside a time. We allow here in River of Life people at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. If they want to give to the Lord, and a lot of people do, and I tell you that's extremely powerful. And so, you know, some people do that. Then Zedaka, which is the alms. So there's several people, and I encourage people to do this, that when you give your tithe, they give above their tithe and they designate it, you know, for things like to bless the poor in Israel in different areas. And so that's what all that goes to. That all ends up, I'm told what the figures are. We add to it and we send it out. That's what we do. But that is your giving above your tithe, what's called tzedakah, which is just alms and righteous giving. Okay. And then the last one is free will offerings. These are just because you love the Lord if you feel led to sow financially into the church. Or maybe there's a need that arises and the pastor says, look, we need this, and people give. But do you see in this how much Israel was a giving nation as God taught them? This was something really ingrained in the culture. And I believe it's something God's wanting us to live out in Christianity as well. So we've got to break a poverty mentality. Romans 12, 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A poverty mentality holds so many back. They have a fear about giving that I won't have enough. Whereas the Lord said, if you give, I'll bless you. To break that hoarding mentality and start being generous. So many people think, you know, man, I just need to hoard all this wealth, all this stuff, and never give. But they don't understand that it grieves the Lord. God's wanting us to be a conduit of blessing to other people. To break the mentality of lack and speaking lack and start speaking faith. Some people expect that things aren't going to work out for them. I don't know if you guys knew that, but there's people out there that expect things to go bad. And they speak that way. To break that mentality. To break the codependent mentality that you're dependent on other people to take care of you. Or that irresponsibility. Or that user mentality to use people for what you can get out of them. Instead of being that way, say, I want to be um, responsible and I want to be entrusted to be a blessing to the Lord and His kingdom and to other people. And break that slothfulness and become diligent. And here's the last couple things. Don't hoard wealth in the last days, the Bible says. But we need to understand this. This may be one of the more important things that I've said. When you give, you give to God. Now, there's a lot of people I've seen over the years 
that they give into churches, but there's a lot of weird control attached to their giving. They think that by giving, that somehow they can control the preacher, control what he preaches, control the worship team, control how the church is going to function, different things like that. And it's very weird. It's probably a Jezebel spirit. But it's usually been in men, and it's usually been in big givers in the church. And they think because their tithe is big or whatever that they should be able to dictate how things go. But you're giving to God, not to man. When that money leaves your hands, you have to understand it's gone, but you gave it to God. Don't think in your mind, I gave it to a person or I gave it to this church or this. You need to think in your mind, I gave this to God. What they do is what they're going to pray about it and feel you know, led of the Lord to do. But that's between them and God. Once I give, I've done my part and I gave it to God. And I'm not going to worry about it. All right. And as I said earlier, I believe that God, we need places in these last days where God can move with great power. So there's got to be finances for there to be places for, for people to come and receive from God. You know, if there's not finances coming into a church, you can't have a church. Because nobody's going to give you a building for free. If you know of somebody that will, because somebody may hear this and say, Nope, I know so. If you do, let me know. Let me know their name and phone number, okay? But I'm telling you that most people, okay, are not going to give you a building for free. And most electric companies are not just going to let you use the lights for free. I'm just telling you. Uh, they're, they're not, they, you know, when you don't pay that bill, that seems, it seems to get turned off at some point. And they're not going to let you just use their water without paying for it. So the point is there has to be finances coming in to have a church. There has to be finances coming in to these evangelistic ministries so that they can get out there and win souls. They cannot get on an airplane. They can't go to the place. And they can't have the speakers they need. I'm talking about the loudspeakers, the PA system. They can't have the things they need if they don't have any money. Understand that they can go on a street corner and talk to a handful of people, but to do anything on a large scale, you can't do much without any finances. And I want God to pour out His Spirit, but the Lord will pour out His Spirit with great power among a people that are cheerful, generous givers. The people that have that mentality that I don't want to give and all this. And maybe they heard some, some bad teaching. I mean, maybe um, they heard somebody tell them things where they don't. now they don't give. They don't tithe. They don't give because they heard wrong teaching. Or maybe they heard some teaching that, that turned them off. But don't let things sour you and mess you up spiritually. Get into the Word for yourself, okay? And learn what pleases the Lord. All right. I'm going to pray tonight. And I believe God's going to touch people very powerfully. I have felt the phrase, revival glory, revival fire. I believe God's doing something new in River of Life.